Educating, empowering, and inspiring you to live healthier is our mission. So let's begin. So, you know, it starts with fertility awareness and learning about how your cycle works. But we get to the deeper layers, which is accepting ourselves as as who we are. Hey, health warriors. This is episode number 81 of the Life, Strength, and Health podcast. I'm Kim and I'm joined with Jamal. Greetings, everyone. And uh, peace and blessings. Yes. And thank you for joining us this week. And in this episode, it's going to be part two of our interview with Lisa Hendrickson Jack. And we are discussing the fertility awareness method. Um, before we dive into this, uh, this week's episode, if you have not had a chance to listen to part one, which was episode number 80, um, we recommend that you listen to that one first. So please stop this recording and go to um, episode number 80, which is part one of our interview with Lisa. Um, I think it's just a great foundation to start there. Um, You'll certainly get a lot of benefit from listening to part two, but we would recommend that you listen to part one. So to access that episode, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash eight zero to access part one. And this episode is sponsored by healthwarrior.co. Healthwarrior.co is our private health community and it's all geared towards helping you to live a more natural and holistic lifestyle. Yes. One of the problems that uh, we find when it comes to actually trying to live a holistic lifestyle is that all of the information isn't in one place. Like you have to do a lot of research. You have to pull together a lot of different resources in order to find your way. And a lot of times, many people stumble along the way. And after years, they finally begin to come into their own. Right. So what uh, our membership platform does is it collapses time frames. Like we can get you up and running and get you understanding how to live a holistic lifestyle very quickly and very easily. Right. So to learn more about our private health community, just go to healthwarrior.co. And the last thing I would like to mention before we dive into the show or our organic food for thought segment is that as of this recording, we are now into the spring and we just released our spring elemental detox. We have a few episodes, podcast episodes where we dive into detoxification and the importance of it or what we call internal hygiene. And now we are, you know, transitioning or we are into the spring and it's very important to transition into the various um, seasons properly. That's really how you live holistically and how you optimize your health. So just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash shop to learn more about our detoxes. And you can also uh, send us an email, reach out to us via social media, or give us a call uh, if you have any questions about that. So now let's segue into this week's Organic Food for Thought. And this week's Organic Food for Thought is on matcha tea. Matcha tea is not your typical green tea. This high-grade, finely ground, concentrated green tea has been traditionally used in Japanese tea ceremonies for hundreds of years. As a fat burner and even a cancer fighter, matcha leaves other teas in its dust. Numerous studies have shown that naturally occurring chemical compounds in matcha are anti-carcinogenic by inducing cancer cell death and inhibiting cancer cell growth. Matcha is also rich in antioxidants, has free radical scavenging activity, and in 
encourages your body's natural detoxification systems. Green tea benefits are amazing, but when you consume matcha, you consume all the green tea benefits in the most concentrated form and the health benefits are amplified. The secret behind matcha's super strength is found in its polyphenol compounds called catchings, a type of antioxidant found in superfoods like green tea, cocoa, and apples. Valued for being more catching dense than most items, green tea provides unbelievable health benefits for people who regularly drink it. And this is especially true of matcha, a concentrated powder form of green tea. Yes. So when it comes to uh, green tea, uh, the Chinese and uh, other areas of Asia, they steep their green tea. So they're pulling the properties from the leaves. But what the Japanese do is they grind the green tea up into a very concentrated powder and you mix it in with your water. So you're taking those properties in like directly from the food itself. And uh, one thing to think about, like you, you hear about all of the different studies and just how powerful uh, green tea is mm -hmm. when it comes to matcha tea. It's 10 times more powerful than green tea. So if you think that you're uh, getting some serious uh, nutrition and serious power from green tea, just imagine how much you're getting from matcha tea. I tell you, like, you know, I've known about matcha tea for a very long time, but in the beginning, I was resistant uh, to it only because, like, I had went to this tea shop and uh, they were serving matcha tea. That was my first time really hearing about it. It may have been um, a few years ago. And basically, you know, they put the powder in. You had to add a little bit of water. And then you had this like wooden, like nest looking whisk. So you put a little bit of water in there. You, you, and while the water's low, you, you whisk it, you know, you whip it and then you add more water and then, you know, you whip it some more. Then you do what you, what you're going to do with it. And in my mind, I'm like, man, this is a, this is too much work. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, I got to buy the, the matcha tea kit. She's like, yeah, you got to buy the kit. So you got to buy the kit. You, you, so, you know, I just thought it was too much work. So I didn't, I didn't consume it as early as I should have. You know, if I'm out on my, I get it. But now that, you know, I actually incorporated it into, you know, our nutrition, like it's, it's my yeah, favorite it's amazing. tea. It's yeah. powerful. It's my favorite tea, hands down. And it's something for me, like when I'm consuming something and I know the power of it, it's that much more effective for me because it's like I know that I'm doing something directly to take my health to the next level and it tastes good. For me, it just enhances everything about it. So, you know, matcha tea is definitely my favorite tea right now. And if you're not up on it, you need to get up on it. And a lot of times I don't even go through that whole process of whisking and stuff like that. I'll just grab it and throw it in the, in the, in the blender and just, you know, blend it up with my tea and keep it simple. So mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need that whole kit when you're going through uh, the process. Right. So if you've never tried matcha tea, you know, it can hurt to try it. Um, you may not like it the first time. Give it a chance uh, because the benefits that it offers, you know, it's it's a must when living a holistic lifestyle. And, and these days and times that we're in the uh, pollution and things that we're exposed to, it's a no brainer to incorporate matcha into your diet. So now let's segue into this week's episode. And this is going to be part two of our interview with Lisa Hendrickson, 
Jack. And um, this is all on the fertility awareness method. And as I mentioned, if you have not had a chance to listen to part one, make sure you do that at lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 80. Um, so, and then you can come back and listen to part two. So in part two, it's a continuation of the conversation. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing more of um, hormonal birth control. We'll be talking about the Depro-Provera shot, how to use the fertility awareness method as a form of birth control. Where did Lisa get her training? How long do you have to do the fertility awareness method? What age should you start teaching this method to young girls? Why the fertility awareness method is 99.6% effective as a form of birth control? How to make the fertility awareness method more effective? And so much more. So without further ado, let's dive into part two of the interview. So um, I think that it's important to highlight that it is important to go through those things. So w- what are your thoughts on? I mean, I, 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 I'm assuming already based on what you said, but what are your thoughts on the, the different various types of um, uh, birth control pills? And uh, they have the different um, injections and yeah, things. The depo shots. Yeah, the depo shots and things mm-hmm. like that. Like what are, what are your, your thoughts on those things and how they affect your body and your cycle and just a woman's overall health? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, so, I mean, I think that unfortunately we live in a world where um, I feel like it goes really deep. And sometimes I have a, sometimes I'm even hesitant to kind of go there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really deep because there's a deep sense of um, as, as women, we're not really accepted for who, who we are and how we are in the world. And that's a broad concept. So what I mean by that is that, say, for instance, in the workforce, (laughs) um, the fact that we do have cycles, the the fact that we do have periods, um, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, there's toilet paper in there, but it's very rare that I ever see menstrual products. Now, if you think about that, half of the population has a very normal um, bodily function that requires, you know, pads, tampons menstrual cups, et cetera. Um, And we have a global acknowledgement that when we go to the bathroom, you know, toilet paper is made available, but for some reason there's no menstrual products there. Right. So, you know, if men menstruated, there would be menstrual products in the bathroom. Yes. Because it would just be accepted as a normal, natural part of being a man and it would just be there. So just to kind of start there, (laughs) um, one of the the biggest, uh, so, you know, it starts with fertility awareness and learning about how your cycle works. But we get to the deeper layers, which is accepting ourselves as, as who we are, um, opening that conversation about our menstrual cycles, about menstruation, um, and acknowledging that we are not men with ovaries. Mm-hmm. We are women, and that is different. We have different bodies. So where am I going with this? Well, it's, you know, the reason that I bring that up is because, so to, to, you know, to answer your question, how I feel about menstrual, uh, hormonal birth control and things like that, if you think about it... Um, Hormonal birth control is a way to um, take a medication that uh, shuts down a normal and natural healthy function in a woman's body. So in a way, um, you know, we take medication for a sickness, for an illness. So in a way, we're, we, we are taking a medication for our fertility. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Except we're not sick. Right. Um, and so somehow we have been brainwashed to think that, that you can take a pill that's going to shut down your ability to procreate and that it's not going to have any other impacts right. on your body. And so, you know, I, I did talk about how it does that. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it um, interferes with ovulation and all those different things. So it's interesting because you said, you know, what's my opinion about it? And I have a lot of opinions, but I've been very inspired lately. I'm working on, I'm actually working on a, a project. And so I've been doing a lot of research. And so I've looked at what the research has to say. Mm-hmm. So there's an idea that some women take birth control and they get side effects and other women don't. But birth control has certain physiological effects on every woman who takes it. Yes. In order for it to work, it has to. In order for it to prevent pregnancy, it has to interfere with our natural hormone production. Because if our hormones were working normally, we would be ovulating (laughs) and we would be able to get pregnant. So anything that's preventing us from ovulating is having a negative impact on our hormone production because it has to, because that's how it has to work. So what the research shows, I mean, every woman who takes, say, the pill, so hormonal birth control, that's a combination of synthetic estrogens and progesterones, uh, estrins and progestins, um, just so that we're clear that they're not the same thing as our natural hormones. Uh, But every woman who takes those, she's going to have a drop in her natural hormone production. So she's going to produce less estrogen and progesterone, like her own natural. Mm -hmm. Um, And the research also shows that her testosterone production drops dramatically. Um, so a lot of times you'll hear someone say like, oh, well, you know, the pill is kind of like you're pregnant. Like it's kind of like the same thing as when you're pregnant, except from a hormonal standpoint, um, if you were to measure the levels of a woman's natural hormones when she's on hormonal birth control, the pattern would look more like a woman who is in menopause. Wow. Yeah. Well, because a woman who is in menopause is not cycling. Right. <laughs> right. right. And yeah. she doesn't have high levels of estrogen and progesterone because she's in menopause. <laughs> Right. Um, right. And so, and she wouldn't have a thick uterine lining. She wouldn't be able to get pregnant. She wouldn't have any cervical mucus because she's a menopause. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. Whereas when you're in pregnancy, you, your levels of estrogen and progesterone skyrocket. Like I have this chart and it shows that um, the progesterone you produce in your normal cycle when you're 40 weeks pregnant, when you're right about to pop, it's like, a, it's like 10 or 11 times the amount of progesterone in your bloodstream. So it's uh, not like pregnancy. Yeah. So a better terminology would say it, it, it tricks the body into thinking it's in, into, in menopause as opposed to it's making the body think it's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite, uh, so one of my favorite kind of phrases and ways to talk about that, I did one of my very first interviews on the podcast is with Laura Bryden. She wrote the book uh, Period Repair Manual. And what she said, she, she's like, well, she's like, it's like a chemical castration. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting, because you asked me about the depot shot, did you know that the depot shot has been used to chemically castrate male sex offenders? Like, it's a real thing. Wow. Wow. I'm not surprised. That's crazy, though. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like, so in terms of, like, what are the effects? I mean, the effects on the body, obviously lowering natural hormone production. So that comes with consequences. So Women, as women, we we produce about a tenth of the testosterone as our male counterparts, but we need it. And so testosterone plays a really important role in our libido. So a lot of women go on hormonal birth control and find that they no longer want to have sex. So the birth control is working, but not for the reasons we anticipated. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Um, in addition to that, testosterone is linked to depression. Like to low testosterone is linked to, to depression. A lot of women experience um symptoms of depression and anxiety on hormonal birth control. Uh, but that's not the only reason why uh, hormonal birth control is also associated with a bunch of um, 
nutrient deficiencies and it disrupts uh, uh, tryptophan metabolism, which is related to our serotonin. Like there's just all of these different factors that would, would contribute physiologically to this increased risk of depression. Um, And then in addition, you know, we need our hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone are, are, are sensitive tissues. So um, the tissues of our vulva are very sensitive to that. So some women will experience painful intercourse, painful sex. And there's studies that show that um, hormonal birth control is associated with thinning of the vulva tissues. So the tissues around the vaginal opening, there was a study that was done that showed that women on hormonal birth control, their clitoris's clitori, they shrunk. Wow. So they measured the volume of the, cl- the clitoris and it shrank in these women. Um, there's studies that show that prolonged hormone, like it's just, it goes on and on and on. But I, yeah. you, where, where I'm going with this is that for some reason, we think that messing with our hormones in that way is not going to have any other impacts. Like, okay, my uterus is kind of like just a, a piece of this puzzle and I can shut it off and on as I want. And it's not a real part of me. It doesn't affect how I feel. It doesn't affect me emotionally. But what the research shows is that, yes, it does, because you can't sh- shut off the one without Im- Im- affecting everything else. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from birth control. And you know what else? You know well, what else? I, I should say, sorry to interrupt. I should say, like, I'm very direct and I've done a lot of research. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I have a lot to say about birth control, but I want to just be clear. Like, I'm not trying to shame any woman for taking right. I've taken it. You've, like, everyone has taken it. Absolutely. My, my goal with sharing this information isn't to say that no woman should ever take birth control. Some women will say that they didn't have any effects on it, although physiologically they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every woman has it. Like, not all women have painful sex. Like, not like, so it's each woman is individual and so how it affects you is different some women don't really have a lot of effects and then eight years in they start getting panic attacks so every woman's experience is different but the reason that i share this is kind of the obvious reason of like you need to know how it affects your body so i think that's the important consent piece but the other thing is that i believe that if women knew in advance how these things affect could affect them and all of that it can inform their decision so maybe you would go on it for two or three years and then try something else, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to being on it for 15 years. And maybe you would stay on it for 15 years, but at least you would have that informed consent. No, that's, what, that's what this is about. And what we see here uh, is that, um, just looking at it from a, a, a different perspective as far as um, just uh, immunity and uh, digestion and things like that, what we see is that um, women that, have been on birth control for long periods of time, their, their body's natural bacteria is, is really out of balance. Um, so it starts to affect their ability to absorb nutrients and to digest in their overall, um, immune system. We see that it has an effect on that. And then when I'm listening to, um, from their white flow being put on antibiotics, which throws it out even more. It, it just really unfolds to just a, a lot of, you know, challenges that, um, that, that start from really not understanding, um, you know, women's cycles. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's the challenge is that I've never, I've spoken to very few women. So I've spoken to like one or two out of like a hundred who mm-hmm. have actually been informed to any good degree about the possible side effects. So mm-hmm. on my podcast, I've, I've interviewed several women um, who've had different, you know, 
largely negative experiences with hormone, hormonal birth control. And so just to kind of highlight their experiences so that we can all just hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of women who have had the experience of like, they'll go on it. And some women have a really negative reaction right away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I spoke with one woman and she went on hormonal birth control um, and then she started getting these yeast infections and she never used to get them before. So it's like exactly what you're talking about. How it can disrupt yes. the floor. Mm-hmm. Obviously not every woman who goes on hormonal birth control starts getting yeast infections, but right. in her case, so she got it and then she went to her doctor and her doctor gave her like the antifungal and then she yeah. got like a bacterial vaginosis and then he gave her that and it was like back and forth and back right. and forth. And then, you know, she went, she ended up going off of it for a different reason. She started getting headaches and she had spoken to her mom and her mom had also had headaches on it. So she was like, oh, well, maybe it's the, the pills. Let me go off of it because I, you know, these headaches. So she goes off it and then all of a sudden, you know, the yeast infections go away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but again, like her doctor either wasn't aware or didn't put two and two together. Um, so in that case, you know, she was having these reactions related to the hormonal birth control. But even, even when you have the reactions and you go to your practitioner, they don't always know to make that connection. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question um, with all of this and and just understanding uh, just the fertility awareness method. I know when it comes to really understanding your body and working with cycles, it could be really scary for for some women that don't want to get pregnant. And so so how does that work as far as using it as a a form of, of birth control? Well, that's a really good question, because I mean, there are. There's a difference between having that awareness that your body uh, goes through different phases in their, in your cycle mm-hmm. versus actually using it reliably as a method of birth control. So when you're wanting to use this method, I think there's a, a tendency to think, okay, this is my cycle. These are natural things. I'm just going to like do it myself. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that there is something to it. So it's kind of like learning to drive. So if you know how to drive, you take for granted that you know all the road signs and you know how the car works and you know all that stuff. But when you first started, you had to take some time to learn all the signs and you had to actually practice. So it's it's very much like that. Um, so in, in terms of using the method for birth control, the what you're going to want to do, you're going to start, you, you're going to want to start by getting yourself a good book. So um, there's a book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. And so for most of us women who use this method, that's like the Bible, <laughs> the fertility voice. It's where most women start off. So that book is really great. It has a ton of information. It is a huge book. Um, but by itself, uh, depending on, it's, it really depends on where you are in your, like what stage you're in. So for a woman who has potentially never been on hormonal birth control and um, her cycles are fairly consistent and um, her, her fertile signs are really obvious and there's not a whole lot of variation that happens in her cycle, for her, she, she might just understand it and get it real quick. But most women aren't in that situation. Most women have used hormonal birth control for a while or um, a lot of women do have issues with their cycle um, Maybe they're not ovulating regularly or that type of thing. And so whenever you run into snags like that, when you have challenges in your cycle, in order you can still use the method for birth control effectively. Um, so the method that I teach, what we're doing basically is we're observing those signs in a, in a specific way. So we're checking for mucus every single day. We're checking your basal body temperature every morning. And then if you want to, it's an optional sign. You can check your cervical position. And then recording that into a chart physically on paper or an app on your phone or something like that. But um, 
you know, when you're, when you're wanting to use this method for birth control, uh, you have to kind of follow a specific kind of system and get into this habit of doing this. And um, so if you're wanting to do it on your own, you can start with a book. If you run into challenges, my suggestion is to learn with someone who knows what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. um, a person who is trained in teaching fertility awareness. And for me, even when I learned, so when I started using this method, I did buy the book um, and I did try to kind of teach myself. But at the same time, I was in university and I just so happened to live in the, this one the city in, in uh, Canada, the city in Edmonton, or I lived in Edmonton and um, that just happened to be where one of the only schools that teach fertility awareness is located. And so oh, wow. on my, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like it's such yeah. a coincidence, but <laughs> on my university campus, there was actually monthly meetings that were held by um, women who had learned like actually trained women who had learned to teach fertility awareness. So every month I would go to these sessions. And so I didn't even have the experience of learning by myself. I was always learning with women who like I was being taught by these women. So, so yeah, so it it is possible to use the method effectively. And the basis of the method is every day you're checking your signs and you make a decision that day, if you're fertile or not based on what you see. So it's not the rhythm method. We're not calculating how many days your cycle is and, dividing by two and whatever you're actually checking your cycle every like you're checking for mucus every day you're checking your basal body temperature and you're recording these signs and based on the rules um you're you're determining whether or not you're fertile based on what you actually see so it's like a real-time um situation and what the research shows is that when you use this method correctly um and you've been trained by a teacher because the research there's there's the scientific research that has been done. It is done on women who have been taught the method by a trained teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's right up there with the pill at 99.6% effective. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. And so let me ask you a question. When, when a woman begins to actually learn her body in this way and, and, and learns her cycles, uh, how long does she have to continue to, to track? Like once she kind of learns the, the rhythm of it, because, you know, I know that our bodies change at different periods of our life. So is it something that is ongoing or do they need to just kind of ch- like do a, a check in, you know, cycle test every so often? Like, how does that work? I love that question. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it kind of gets at the, the heart of the misconceptions around this whole method, mm-hmm. which is that you get you, 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 you just have to understand your rhythm, and then you'll know. So it's kind of like this idea that like, we're just going to be like, I'm going to sit down on the floor and like in a meditative position. And I'm just going to like, no, <laughs> no, my body is so romantic. Like it would be really cool. We wish. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like that. So actually what happens is you get into the habit of checking. And gotcha. so I've been charting my cycles for 17 years. And uh-huh. every time I go to the bathroom, I'm checking for Mikas. Okay. And it's gotcha. not like a big deal. Cause it, yeah. it takes a sec. I'm, I always say to my clients, I'm like, you're already wiping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just like conscious wiping. I didn't have to tell yeah. any woman to wipe. She wipes already. But now we're just paying attention to what we see. So it's what you're doing is you're incorporating a new habit into your routine. And this becomes the new normal. And so you never, like, this is what I caution against with as a fertility awareness educator. If you really want the method to be effective, you have to understand what the method is. And the method is, is not guessing and not using your previous cycles to inform what you're going to do. But it's actually, it's very much like mindfulness. Like we're living in the moment here, people. Mm-hmm. Um, every day, we're not going to assume anything. So just because last month I ovulated on day 17 of my cycle doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't because this cycle, I could ovulate on day 15. I could ovulate on day 21. Like, 
it doesn't really mean anything. What we need to know is what's happening today. So to answer your question, yeah, like you, you, you're just developing new habits. It's a, it's a new method. It is different. It's not for everybody because it does involve, it's what they call a user-dependent method. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, so if I stop tracking, right, I become one with myself and I'm on the floor meditating and I stop tracking, then I am no longer using the method. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I think that um, this is great. And just like with all other um, aspects of health, this should be something that, you know, young girls are, are learning like about their cycles and just understanding their body and, and how to do this, this charting at a young age. Our daughter's eight. And, uh, you know, we already try to really teach her about her, her health and things like that. And I could just imagine at an early age, you know, her knowing this information, how empowering it could be. Um, like what, what age do you think is, is good for, you know, young girls to really, um, you know, learn about this and to begin, you know, like charting, um, you know, their bodies, would you say like at the time that they get their, their period? I think that, um, I think that we can teach girls at a young age, because if you think about it, we're talking about information, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. so when, like, for, for instance, like I, my eldest son is five and my youngest son is two. <laughs> and I'm always saying things like things to them. Like they know the name of their, the names of their body parts. Mm-hmm. So my two-year-old's like, that's my penis. That's my penis. <laughs> um, and so the type of education you give a two-year-old is not the same as the type of education you give a six-year-old, but you can, right. or even a 12-year-old, but you can, yeah you know, like we can start talking about it. We can talk about cervical mucus for, uh, to girls who are quite young. Yeah. Make it um, yeah. Cause at some point girls know about periods. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever you're talking about periods, you talk about cervical mucus, you talk about both of those things. Um, and the, you can, you can tell them that, um, you could tell them about their menstrual cycle. You could tell them about ovulation. You could tell them about those things. So, uh, I think it, you can start at a young age. It, you just have to kind of gear it to your audience. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that people kind of one of the common objections to teaching girls this is because it's like automatically where you think, oh, I'm teaching, you're telling her to use this for birth control. <laughs> you know, this is the thing about fertility awareness is that I believe every single woman on the planet Earth <laughs> should know um, yes. how her body works and understand the the ovulatory cycle, the menstrual, like the whole thing. We should all understand that and know that. Now, every woman on earth is not going to use this for birth control. Right. So this is independent of how you use it. The information is something all of us need to have. And then you decide how you're going to use it. I'm not going to tell you how to use it. <laughs> you decide, but we all need to know the information. Right. And this kind of brings us to the, the health perspective. Like if you're, if a woman is going through these chartings and she's seeing that things aren't lined up the way that they're supposed to and her body isn't responding or, or doing these things, that also would give her an indication of, of that, you know, she has some type of uh, imbalances going on with the health, right? Absolutely. And I've worked with a number of clients and through our work, um, you know, we've identified a number of different things. So when you're seeing certain patterns on the chart, if a woman has, um, say, if she has issues with ovulation. So I worked with a woman and for years she had in, infrequent ovulation. So some years she would have five periods, some years she would have seven periods. 
And uh, through our work together, when we were looking at all these things, even though she had been to her doctors, you know, and talked about it, they had never really, shouldn't fit the bill. Um, so for in her case, she ended up with a PCOS diagnosis. But um, because she was young, slim, pretty, happy, <laughs> I don't know, they, mm-hmm. it just didn't fit their mold. They, they right. assumed that, it, oh, if a woman has PCOS, she's got to be obese. And I don't know, they just had their own um, idea of what that had to look like. And mm-hmm. so when she came in saying, I had these issues with my menstrual cycle, they just said, well, why don't you just go on the pill? <laughs> right? Wow. So, yeah. um, so uh, in, in, in her case, just by charting her cycles, like that was something where it's fairly obvious when you're charting, if you're not ovulating, right? Because mm-hmm. you're waiting for this thing to happen. It's not happening. But that's an example. You know, I've supported women who were seeing cervical mucus patterns that are not, that are abnormal, that are outside of what we would expect to see. I've supported women to um, identify cervical um, cervical dysplasia, so abnormal cervical cells just by what we're seeing on their charts. I've supported women to find and you know infections that they had no idea that they had, um, like uh, STIs or fungal oh. overgrowth or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on again what we're seeing on the chart, you know I've supported women to identify thyroid issues and nutrient deficiencies and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I mean it's not like every single human looks at a chart and knows. It's kind of like anything yeah. else. Like if you go to a doctor and you get an EKG, like a electrocardiograms, is that what they're called? Uh, yeah. The doctor can read that because right. they've been trained to do that. So I've been trained to read the menstrual cycle chart. And so I can, and I've worked with enough women to know like certain things show up in certain ways. So you can absolutely use that information to identify certain health issues. And it's especially helpful when you're trying to conceive and it's not happening because there's certain things that are really easy to identify on a chart, like low progesterone, for example, like a luteal phase defect, short luteal phase, things that are associated with uh, an increased risk of miscarriage or uh, infertility. Like you don't necessarily make it conclusive, but you can see signs of hormonal issues on the chart. It's quite obvious to someone who's been trained to do you know, that. That makes so much sense. Like I, I call it body talk or body consciousness, like just really, yeah, understanding how the body is communicating because the body will tell you exactly what's going on if you know how to read whatever method that you're using. So that, right. that makes perfect sense. And then I would assume that from there, um, you know, you would take the necessary steps, whether it's uh, nutritional adjustment, supplementation, or further, uh, you know, further things that you may need to do, right? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the times it gives us that point um, in the right direction type of thing. And so, whereas if you weren't doing this, you wouldn't have known to test for that thing. And then you tested for that thing. And then all of a sudden now you have a lot more information and now you have answers. Now you're like, oh, this makes sense. I didn't know I had this underlying nutrient deficiency. And then you start correcting that. And then the greatest thing about charting is that when you identify an issue and you address it, the chart is a real-time measure of what's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in ter- I, I kind of made fun of you a little bit, and I'm sorry. <laughs> when you, you know, in, when um, we we're talking about that whole idea of being at one with your cycle and kind of knowing what's going on. So yeah. I shouldn't have made fun of you because there is something to that. Mm-hmm. And when you start charting your cycles, what's really interesting is be, is that women start to often make much deeper connections than, than I would have thought. So for instance, like if you are in a working in a field that is not where you really want to be, or you have a job that's really, really stressful, um, you know, for years you may have been going on about it and doing it, but when you start to see how it can quite literally affect your menstrual cycle and you can see that in real time, like you can see that when you had that fight with your boss, your your ovulation was delayed. And then like when that situation resolved, 
your mucus came back. You know, like when you can see that, and it's, it is, it it is like that. (laughs) Like you can see like, Oh, I went, I traveled for work and like, Oh wow, this thing happened right on the day that I left and got in the airplane. So when women start to see those connections, often women are making all kinds of choices. Like, reevaluating their relationships, reevaluating their career choices, like really making these deep, deep connections because they can start to see, wow, like what I do in my life, all that coffee I was drinking, all that alcohol I was drinking, the fact that I wasn't getting enough sleep, like all that stuff is like right there in my chart. And when I make changes, it changes too. Yeah, Yeah. it it makes perfect sense because we see that across the board with so many other areas of health. So it just makes perfect sense that it would still fall in alignment with this as well. So that is the conclusion of part two of our interview with Lisa. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, but most importantly, you receive value from it. And to access the show notes pages for this episode, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash eight one. Thank you for listening. Please continue to share our show with anyone that you think would receive value from it. Stay tuned for part three, which is the final part of our three part series of our interview with Lisa. And until next time, live healthier. We want to say thank you for listening to the show and for access to the show notes pages, more podcast episodes, blog content, as well as more information about our center, Life Strength and Health, then just visit us at lifestrengthandhealth.com. Until next time, live healthier.